Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible study classes. Whether you are looking for a place to start or want something more in-depth, there are plenty of options and times to choose from. Head to our website at www.preceptministries.ca to find a workshop or a class that is a good fit for you. We want you to have the tools to know God deeply and live differently. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay up to date on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries in Canada. If you would like to study along with the podcast on your own, you can go to our website and purchase the new inductive study series book called God's Blueprint for Bible Prophecy. Or if you're looking for a more in-depth study, you can grab one of our Precept Upon Precept workbooks for Daniel Part 1. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Daniel. This podcast is a recorded sermon series given by National Director Mark Sheldrake to a local church. Well, uh, good morning, church. Hey, get onto the edge of your seats. Don't don't have those lazy boy legs flipped up, but just be ready to, to get into the word and be ready to be engaged through what we're going to see in the scriptures today, all right? Uh, put your cereal down and pick up your Bible and have your notes ready to go. All right, so let me just build the context of where we are in Daniel, and then I'm going to pull you into Daniel chapter 2. And if you were just looking at Daniel chapter 2 as a whole, you'd be like, how are we going to cover 49 verses in such a short amount of time? But we will. I promise we'll get through that all. Uh, Daniel, 605 BC, he's 15 years old. Uh, when he's taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar. We looked at that last week. And so as Daniel's taken captive, we want to hang on one verse, and that's the focus of everything that we're trying to accomplish, and that is chapter 1, verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind. All right, and so that's resolve, and that's what we're going to focus on and keep focusing on all the way through. Last week, we looked at Daniel and this choice that he made not to defile himself by the king's food. And now at the end of Daniel chapter 1, in verse 17, we see what God has done for Daniel and his buddies. And that's where we're going to pick up. So as we look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, as for these four youth, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel himself even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So Daniel's described in chapter 1, he already is a knowledgeable person. But this wisdom and understanding comes direct from God in verse 17. And it plays a vital role in where we're headed in the scriptures today. One more point of context so you can understand this and where we're headed, okay? Are you ready? Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Okay, Daniel want chapters 1 to 6. Those are in chronological order according to history. So that actually spans just over 70 years of Daniel's life. 
So from 1 to 6, 70 years of Daniel's life. Then 7 to 12 actually implant themselves in between chapters 1 to 6. So Daniel 7 to 12 is not outside or new. It's just a different view of this 70 years of captivity. So in the 1 to 6 chronological, according to history and years, uh, 7 to 12 also chronological, but they fit into chapters 1 to 6. So let's pick up in Daniel chapter 2, and we're going to be focusing on a couple of things. We're going to answer two questions today, and the two questions are, what do we continue to learn about aliens? Remember, the first uh, week of our series, we looked at a number of different characteristics of aliens. We're going to add to that list today, but we're also going to answer the question, what do we learn about the kingdoms? All right, so what do we learn about the kingdom, and what do we learn about aliens? All right, so let's look at chapter 2, verse 1, and the first thing we see is a time phrase. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Uh, This is 603 BC. So if you want to write that in the margin of your Bible, 603 BC, you're probably saying to yourself, Mark, how can that be? 604 minus 1 is 6, or 605 minus 1 is 604. But in biblical chronological order, kings did not count their first year as a full year of service. And so 603 puts that into the second year of the reign. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream And this dream wakes him up. All right, we're going to look at that dream in just a moment. But I was thinking back even to uh, my own last number of weeks. And I keep having this reoccurring dream myself. and And I can't figure it out. When I was younger, I used to have this dream all the time about when I would, when I was, with a youth group, and I was leading a youth group, and we went and visited the CN Tower, and I stood on that glass floor way at the top. I I had this dream that that glass floor always broke, and that I was falling to my death, and then every time I was about to hit the ground, I would wake up, and I would be like, okay, it's just a dream. Right now, that dream is uh, something very much different. It's, it's me running with my friends, and I keep tripping on that one uh, spot on the sidewalk where it's elevated, and I don't lift my feet enough, and then I fall on my face, and everybody laughs at me. This is the dream that wakes me up suddenly, and it's quite alarming to me. Nebuchadnezzar has that very thing happen to him. He has this dream where, where it troubles him so much he can't sleep anymore. And so look what he does next. It says, Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dream. Uh, so they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Uh, Verse 4 says, The Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb 
and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you'll receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. Verse 10 says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. There is no one else who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. All right, so in these first 11 verses, if you want to take in, and segment this out in the, in the margin of your Bible and make a note, all right, this is the note that you could make in these 11 verses. Uh, this scenario is impossible to accomplish without God. All right, so that's the note to make in the margin for verses 1 to 11 of your Bible. It's an impossible scenario that only God can accomplish. Let me just paraphrase for you for a moment what Nebuchadnezzar wants these people to do. He wants them to not just tell the dream, but also the interpretation. You see, all Nebuchadnezzar has laid out for them is, I had a bad dream last night. It's troubled me. My sleep has left me. Now you interpret this dream, and if you don't tell me what the dream is and interpret it, I'm going to rip your arms and legs off. Uh, the, the magicians and the conjurers here are like, you need to tell us what the dream is in order for us to interpret it. Nebuchadnezzar says twice, no, that's not what I'm telling you. You need to tell me the dream and its interpretation, or I'll rip your arms and legs off. I'll tear you limb from limb. Oh, by the way, I'm just not going to rip your arms and legs off. I'm going to destroy everything you own. Uh, can you imagine this impossible thing that's happening for a moment? And, and the best part of this is, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to kill time. Oh, king, you are wonderful. You are great. Um, they're buttering him up, and they're, they're trying to kill time so that they can come up with some sort of plan, which tells you these magicians and conjurers and all of these Chaldeans, all they ever did, and their job was the sole purpose, was to tell them what the king wanted to hear. And, and just like this here, this is described for me as one of the greatest superhero moments in scripture, all right? This is the perfect setup for a superhero, all right? I can imagine um, thinking about uh, 
uh, Superman, all right? So Superman, not, not the new Superman. I'm talking the Christopher Reeves Superman, the, the real Superman, all right? So what you have is uh, Lex Luthor in Superman 1. He's, he's in there. He's plotting about how he's going to take the land. And then all of a sudden, you see the door being pushed open and being crushed and being, no, this metal door can't hold it back. And Superman is pushing this door open. This is the moment that's happening right here. Do you see the Chaldeans? They are setting up the super, Superman moment that they're saying there is not one person on this earth can do what you are asking me, us to do. We can't tell you the dream. We can't tell you the interpretation. There is no one except the gods who can do this. This is the moment. This is the moment where Lex Luthor is behind the scenes and he's like, I'm untouchable here. And Superman just pushes that door down and walks through in that red cape and that blue suit and he's like, I'm here. And it is the same thing that's going to happen in the scriptures right now. And God is going to use Daniel for this superhero moment, this this supernatural moment that can only happen because of God. Look at verses 12 and 13. Because of this, the king became indignant. King, nobody can interpret this dream. You haven't told us the dream. This is impossible. Well, now this just ticked the king off even more. Uh, He is beyond just ripping your arms and legs off. The order from the king is this, that he became so angry, so furious, he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be killed and slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Why? Chapter 1, God raised Daniel up, and they became part of the wise men of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. So it is in this point in time that Daniel's not even a part of this conversation, but he is also a part of the wise men, and they are going to kill him because he can't interpret the dream. All the wise men are going to die because they can't tell him the dream or interpret it. Did you notice all the way through the first 13 verses, we have no idea what the dream is, yet all of these men have been commanded to be killed. Now, here comes our our first alien characteristic, all right? So we've walked through a number of alien characteristics in the past, and the first one comes in verses 14 to 16, and aliens respond with discretion and discernment. All right, aliens look at situations and they respond with discretion and discernment. Verse 14, then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Uh, Notice this is absolutely amazing. Okay, just just think about this for a minute. Daniel Daniel is about 17 years old at this time. Uh, There has now been a uh, death 
threat to himself. He, this man has gone to go and kill Daniel and all his friends. And Daniel rises up out of this group and he's like, so what are you hurrying up? What's the rush? Like, uh, what's going on? Like, he's calm and he's collected and he says, so, so what are you in a hurry for? And, and the guard stops and tells Daniel about what's going on. And now, wait for it, Daniel. Do you see what he does next? Daniel went in and he, he requested of the king and he said, uh, I just need a few minutes with the king. Can you get me a few minutes with the king? I need to talk to him. Who wants to go before the king when he's about to rip your arms and legs off and kill you because you can't interpret the dream? Daniel does. Daniel wants to stand up and he wants to go before the king. And he stands there and he says, look, I just need time. Uh, let's look at what, what happens here uh, in the next alien characteristic. Just look at the response that Daniel has. The word then, all right? The word then in scripture always shows us a timing of events. So this happened and then Daniel did this. Daniel went to his house and he informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah about the matter. All right, so can you imagine this? Okay, so he, they, Daniel runs into Arioch as he's going to kill all of them, and he gets time from the king, and then Daniel goes to his friends, and the first thing he says, hey, guys, by the way, we're, we're, we're headed for death here because we can't interpret the dream. Nebuchadnezzar wants to rip our arms and our legs off. Sounds like a fun party time on a Friday night, right? Let's lose our arms and legs because we can do, can't do the impossible. But then it says, so that... The word so that in verse 18 is known as a term of conclusion in Scripture. It tells us the reason that they got together. They got together talking about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Why? So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed and the rest, with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Let me give you the alien characteristic first, and then let's look closer at it. All right, the first, the second alien characteristic, the first is that we re-respond with discretion and discernment, which really is being wise. Then we have this one, which is aliens pray seeking the leadership of God. You see, the word request there is actually prayer. It's going before God and asking God to do the impossible. He's praying before them. This, this right here, just notice where we're at in this point in time in Daniel. He has been raised up. He has been given wisdom and understanding. More importantly, God has given Daniel the gift of interpreting dreams and visions. Do you see the vision and dream that's about to be laid out here in Daniel chapter 2 comes right in line. This is why it's chronological. The gift comes, then we see the gift in action. But Daniel shows his complete dependency on God. He's showing that the situation is so big that he is giving it all to God. Uh, the God of the impossible needs to do the work here. Uh, look at verse 19, which absolutely will, will blow your mind. Okay, what did they do? They prayed. They prayed to God and they asked, 
that God would give them the mystery, that God would not destroy them. And verse 19 says, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Uh, The third characteristic of an alien here is that aliens have a direct communication with God. So uh, they respond with wisdom and discernment. They also um, go and they have uh, seek God in leadership and they have direct communication with God. Do you see it? They asked in prayer. They had faith in their God and their God responded. Now look what Daniel says in verses 20 to 23. He says, Daniel said, as the mystery was revealed, Daniel blessed the God of heaven and he said, let the name of God be blessed forever for wisdom and power belong to God. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the, and the light that dwells within him. To you, O oh God, my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For what? For you have given me wisdom in power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. So, so look at this just for a moment. If you, want, if you want an example, all right, aliens, this is how you should live, okay? When, when an impossible situation comes upon you, you need to respond with discretion and discernment. Don't panic, hold back, think it through. Don't quickly react, seek God, look to others, walk with others through that, that storm and that difficulty and that possible situation. Take it to God together, watch God respond, and as God responds, give him all the praise. That's it. That, that's what we're seeing here in alien characteristics. Respond to a situation with wisdom and discernment. Seek God. Go to others. Pray. When God responds, give him all the praise. Uh, verses 20 to 23, if you want one more alien characteristic, right? Here it is. Aliens don't elevate themselves above God. Do you notice that here, Daniel doesn't say once, I got it. I've got it. I know what the dream is. There's no eyes in here. Uh, If you walk through this passage and you put a triangle over every reference to God, you will see more he's and you's and God's name than you will see eyes or me's. All of the eyes in these, in these verses are things like, I give thanks and I give praise to you. Uh, so let's, let's look at this for a moment now as we walk through, okay, now he's got the dream, he's got the vision, he, he's got both of them, all right? He's got them both now ready to give to Nebuchadnezzar. The impossible that is only possible through God is about to happen. Verse 24, therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence 
and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can interpret the, and make the interpretation known to the king. Did you see that? Did, did you see that for a minute? Don't, don't stop there. Look what Arioch did. <laughs> hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I found the guy. Uh, who sought out Arioch? Daniel sought out Arioch and asked him to be taken to the king. And Daniel walked, and he walks in. I got him. I got your guy. You see the opposites in heart here? The king said to Daniel, uh, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, watch this. Watch, folks. Look at your Bibles. Look clearly. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries. He has made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind when you lay in bed. Not once did Daniel say, I know it. I have it. Daniel continues to give all of the credit to God. Isn't it amazing? The last things that all of his wise men said was, there is no one except a God who can do this. And then Daniel walks in and he said, there is a God who will make known your dream and interpretation to you. Do you see the superhero moment here? Do you see it happening right before your eyes? God is the hero of this story. Daniel is not the hero. Daniel is the messenger of, Of the impossible. Look at verse 29. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Do you notice all the way down to verse 30? Not once is Daniel taking credit. He's not leveraging himself. All of these rewards and blessings that Nebuchadnezzar promises in the beginning, he's not looking for those to elevate himself. The sole purpose is God's glory in all of this that's happening. Now, the amazing part, before we get into the actual dream, we need to think about what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He was laying in bed, all right? What had he done, all right? He had conquered kingdom upon kingdom. He had taken that first siege of Jerusalem, and he was thinking about what's next. Ah, my kingdom How can I continue to build it? He was looking to the future. Isn't it amazing that as he was looking to the future, God stirs up a dream with him to reveal the future. Verse 31 says, O king, uh, you were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue which was large and of extraordinary splendor was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. 
Uh, The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly, its thighs of bronze, and its legs of iron and feet and partly clay uh, all came together. You continued to look until you saw a stone was cut out without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron and the clay and the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time, and they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, uh, so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone struck the statue and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth." Uh, on the screen, I've got for you, I've got a picture for you of, of this statue so that you can take a look at it. And, and what you have is sort of looks, looks when, when it's on the screen, right? It sort of looks like, alien, like an alien head, right? Uh, but you've got this head and then you, you have a statue standing there and you can see from the, the design that I've given you there that the legs are different colored than the rest of the body and then there is the stone that's coming at the bottom of the legs. Well, this, this is what Nebuchadnezzar saw, this great and beautiful statue. And, and as you begin to work through the, the Bible studies in Daniel that you have, there are pictures of this statue that you can see and you can work with. But here you have this statue. It's looking great. It's looking powerful. It's in a, po- a position of height and, and beauty. And so what, that's what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. But here's what woke him up. What woke him up in his dream was not this beautiful statue standing there. It was the very fact that this stone came and this stone hit the bottom legs of this statue and everything fell apart and became chaff and blew away. That's what woke him up. That this big, splendorous statue was gone. You see, it alarmed him. It took him out of his sleep, and, and he wanted to know what that was all about. See, see Nebuchadnezzar, what, what had he been doing? He was thinking about the future. He, he was looking at, man, the kingdom that he has built, the wars that he has won. What can I conquer next? What can I do? And then this dream comes, and the stone comes and strikes the statue. But look at verse 35, and then, then we're gonna bring through the interpretation here. Verse 35, it says, but the stone that was struck, that's, uh, that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now, let me tell you the interpretation. So don't, don't put up the interpreted picture yet. We'll come back to that, but let's look at the interpretation in these verses. All right, so verse 37, it says, You, O king, you are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven was given the might, uh, given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And whatever the sons may dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the sky, he was given them into your hand, and it's caused you to rule over them, and you are the head of gold. So, so here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to look at these individually, all right? So the head, we'll, we'll come back, and I've got the whole picture for you at the end, all right? So the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar himself, all right? So it, what does it tell us about the head of gold? It tells us that uh, everything that God gave him uh, gave him the kingdom, it gave him the power, it gave him the strength, and gave him the glory. 
uh, where the sons of dwell and the beasts of the field, the earth of the sky. He has given everything into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and caused Nebuchadnezzar to rule over them. He is in charge. He is the one on earth. He is the most mighty kingdom at this time in the history of the world. You see why he's looking to the future? I admit, there's no other king that is more powerful than me. And then he says, uh, verse, verse uh, 30, 39, it tells us that after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another kingdom, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the earth. Then verse 40, there will be a fourth kingdom as strong in iron inasmuch crushes and shatters all things so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break into all these pieces. All right, so let's, let's just pause there for a moment, all right, and look at what we've got here. All right, so what we know about this statue, all right, in this statue that we're seeing, each of the parts of this statue represent different kingdoms, all right? So what we can do together is we can determine the first and second kingdom just from where we are in the book of Daniel, all right? So right now we know Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn with me to Daniel chapter 5, and I promise we're going to get there eventually, but I want to show you Daniel chapter 5 all the way to the very end of that chapter, you are going to see in uh, verse 31, you are going to see, and we'll look at Daniel chapter five in a few weeks, but you'll see verse 31 says, Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age 62. At the end of Daniel chapter five, we have the end of the rule of the Babylonians. And after the rule of the Babylonians, as the statue in Daniel 2 tells us that there will be another kingdom, chapter 5, verse 31 tells us that that other kingdom is Darius the Medes' kingdom. All right, so if you wanted to draw that statue out, you could, but the Medes and the Persians will come together and they will, they will rule and be that second kingdom. But you'll notice that even after that second kingdom comes, that a third and a fourth kingdom would rise up. So each part of the statue, do you see what's happening? And Nebuchadnezzar is getting the interpretation. You, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. You are the most powerful person in the world right now. But there will be kingdoms that follow after you. Look at verse uh, 41 that comes out of this fourth kingdom. All right, this is where it gets fun, and this is where it gets confusing, and this is where you're like, okay, we could spend 10 years looking at verses 41 to 45. All right, so what you've got here is you've got verse 41, in that you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay, partly of iron. It will be divided, uh, be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw iron and mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. In that you saw iron mixed with common clay they will be combined with one another in seed of men, 
but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up his kingdom, which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. All right, so uh, if you want to put that statue up, the, the blank one first, let's look at the blank one first. All right, so in that, you have in that statue, you have uh, all of these kingdoms that are going to come. First, we know Nebuchadnezzar is the first kingdom. Then we have the, the second kingdom, which is the Medes and the Persians. And then we have these other kingdoms. And then down at the feet, is going to be talking about this divided kingdom that's going to happen. And notice the timing when that divided kingdom, where half of it's strong and half of it's brittle, that's when the stone is going to roll and it is going to knock out that kingdom and those divided kingdom and all of it's going to fall apart. Now, here's the most interesting part before we go to the next uh, picture, all right? You ready for this? What was Nebuchadnezzar thinking about? Nebuchadnezzar was pondering the future. And what did God do? God didn't just show Nebuchadnezzar his future. God showed God's future. He didn't just lay out what was going to happen for the Babylonians, but he actually lays out what is going to happen till the very end of time. You see, what we've gone into is we've gone into a prophetic message in these verses where God is pointing and showing us in the scriptures to the future. He's showing us what has yet to happen. Uh, The book of Daniel, just for you to understand, the book of Daniel is the book that has the most fulfilled prophecy of all the books of the Bible. We can account most of the prophecies fulfilled in this book, except for one. One has yet to be fulfilled. All right, so let's, let's put the, the, the picture up there for you with everything, okay? So what we've got in the head of gold, we have Babylon, okay? They, they reign uh, starting, their reign starts in around 626, and they start empowering, but they are the head of gold. They're at the top. They are where we are in the context of Daniel right now. The Medes and the Persians, they come together. Uh, the Persians and the Medes, they were, they were not strong enough apart, but the Persians overcame the Medes, and then they conquered together. We'll talk about that more in Daniel chapter 5. After, we come, the, after comes the Medes and the Persians, we have Greece. The Greeks begin to roam. Uh, they begin to rule, and they are the bronze. And then after the Greeks comes the Romans. They are the iron, the strong army that comes, and they conquer, conquer, conquer. They actually came and conquered so much in history that they absorbed the Greeks into their kingdom. They didn't destroy them completely. They absorbed them in. They took their gods and they renamed their gods, but they also kept the language. Did you notice that a lot of the the, uh, New Testament is in Greek, so the Romans kept that language with them, but they went in and they conquered kingdom after kingdom. This is what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. That one, we can interpret now through history and prophecy that Babylonian was first, the Medes and the Persians, then Greeks, 
then Rome, and then you'll see I've got on the left-hand side, I've got a question mark about A.D. 30. Is this when the Romans, when the Romans were still in rule in the, the, after the death of Jesus Christ? But look what comes then. On the left-hand side, I've got at the feet and really at the shins, I've got this divided kingdom that's going to take place. This divided kingdom, no matter what you are told, this divided kingdom has not taken place. This is still to come. This is, this is the talk of 2 Thessalonians. This is the talk of when the Antichrist comes and he raises himself up and the kingdom divides. This is, this is the times of the future that we learn in Revelation. This divided kingdom has not occurred yet. And therefore, also what has not occurred yet is that stone has not come and knocked out all the kingdoms, which is the kingdom of God. But what I want to focus on is not the prophecy of these kingdoms and what's going to happen in Revelation. What I do want to show you very quickly, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at this one kingdom, the most important kingdom. And so I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, because I know the youth, they're working through the 40-minute Bible study, and I want to set them up so that they have a good understanding of where they're heading into the book of Daniel. But here we have in Daniel chapter 7, this is much further along, this is about 553 B.C. 52 years after Nebuchadnezzar has his dream about the statue, Daniel has a statue that wakes him up, and his statue is of four different beasts. And these four different beasts are described in great ways, and it's an amazing opportunity to draw them out and what they look like. But these four beasts of Daniel chapter 7 represent the kingdoms that you are seeing in the statue of Daniel chapter 2. So Daniel is now going to be in chapter 7 seeing that these four beasts, they line up to this statue and they build upon each other. Uh, the, the beasts that are described in chapter 7, they describe the way in which these kingdoms overcome one another. Uh, you'll read about one that uh, one beast is, has one side raised up more than the other side, and that describes the Medes and the Persians. One was stronger than the other. And so Daniel chapter 7 is going to lay all of that out for you, and you can line that up to the statue of what we're looking at today. But let's go back and let's look at this most important one. The most important one is the stone. Remember the first two questions I had for you? The first was, what are the characteristics of aliens? And the second is, what do we learn about the kingdom? Well, let's go all the way back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 33, before we continue on. And as we see verse 34, we see the first mention of this stone. And it says, you continued looking until you saw a stone that was cut without hands. It struck the statue, and its feet of iron and clay were crushed. Uh, this stone was cut without hands. No human being created this kingdom. This is a divine kingdom not made by hand. It's a very interesting. When you, if you have the chance to go to Israel and see how, how they create the cornerstone, they chip away at it perfectly. They get it all flat so that cornerstone is the main stone that gets ready to build the foundation on. And so they make it perfectly so that they continue to build. But this stone here was not carved by man. This kingdom, this stone is divine. 
The stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth. All right, now look at this. Let's, look, let's see what happens here. Okay, this, this stone, uh, it's not just a stone. It actually raises itself up and it overcomes the whole earth and it becomes a great mountain. What was once a stone becomes a great mountain. That's the other thing that we know. Then, then we can walk down and we can look into verse uh, 45. It says, Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, it crushed the iron, um, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to you the king which will take place in the future. Uh, if you put that drawing back up with, with all of the kingdoms there, you'll see what I've got an arrow drawing right to that stone. That stone is the kingdom of God. Do you see, do you see what God has done here? What God has, has laid out? God ha- Nebuchadnezzar was looking to his future and God laid out in Daniel chapter two, he laid out the beginning to the end. Uh, he shows that there is no other kingdom in this world that will be more powerful than that of the kingdom of God. Uh, it's absolutely amazing to see what God has done in this passage. Let's, let's look at the end of the passage, and then I want to draw us to a couple of cross-references to wrap up so that we can really understand, and I've got a, a deep, important question to ask you as we wrap, okay? Are you ready? Look at verse 46. As the dream is interpreted, remember, Nebuchadnezzar has gone from wanting to rip arms and legs off and kill, and then look what he does in verse 46. Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and a fragrance of incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely God is a God of gods and a Lord of the kings and a revealer of the mysteries. Since you have been able to reveal this mystery, then the king promoted Daniel, gave him many great gifts. He made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, the chief prefect and all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon, while Daniel was the king in, at the king's court. First thing I want you to recognize, uh, I've walked through Daniel a number of times, and the number of times I've walked through Daniel with my students, my students always go, oh my goodness, isn't it absolutely amazing that, that Nebuchadnezzar had a change of heart? Nebuchadnezzar began to recognize God and his heart was changed. Uh, I want to debate you on that and that is not what is happening here. Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and worshiped Daniel. And when he fell on his face and worshiped Daniel, he worshiped him because he was able to do the impossible. Nebuchadnezzar is not recognizing God as his God here, but Nebuchadnezzar is recognizing Daniel's God as one of the many gods that can do things. Did you know that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in their, you know, their Babylonian names, the Babylonian names are all after gods that Nebuchadnezzar would worship. He, he, he's not recognizing God here. He's recognizing Daniel. 
And we see that by the way that he is promoted into higher leadership within the kingdom. What, what blows my mind in this passage is that Nebuchadnezzar fails to recognize that he has just been told he is going to lose all of his power and authority as a king. That his kingdom is not the kingdom that is going to last forever. That his kingdom is not the one that's going to be turned into a great mountain that will endure forever. That's another kingdom. That's the stone. Uh, let's look at a couple cross-references on this stone, and then, then we're going to bring this home. Matthew chapter 1, verses uh, 14 and verse 15. We're going to see uh, Jesus uh, comes on the scene as an adult, and he begins to start his ministry. And, and look what he says in, in his messaging um, when he's uh, bringing forth uh, his first commentary. Okay, so Matthew, or sorry, Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, verses um, one, verses 14 to 15. All right, you can see it also in Matthew chapter three. So Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. Here's what Jesus says, all right? He says, now John, John was taken into captivity. That's John the Baptist was taken into custody. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, look for it, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Do you see it? Do you see, what I'm, do you see what, what's happening here? The time has been fulfilled. Look at the statue and what you have in the statue. You've got the kingdom of God coming. Well, this here is the kingdom of God on earth in Jesus Christ. And look at the message he is saying. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, John the Baptist's message was repent, 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 the kingdom is coming. And Jesus says, the kingdom is at hand. All right, look at Matthew chapter four, uh, verse 17. Uh, Matthew 4, 17, and see again what we have um, Jesus uh, talking to you, okay? So Matthew 4, 17, and look at, this is the temptation of Jesus, and look what, look what Satan offers. Again, to the devil, uh, again, the devil took, or sorry, that's verse eight, let's look at that first. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, all these things I will give if you fall down and worship me. And then in verse 17, he talks about, again, the same message of Mark. You have Satan offering all these kingdoms. They can all be yours. Jesus says in verse 17, repent, the kingdom is at hand. Uh, this kingdom that we've been looking for and waiting for, Jesus says, is at hand. Uh, turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. First uh, Peter 2, 4 to 6, and I read this to you last week, and we look at it again this week. All right, so here we have uh, chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. First Peter, he says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, it is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see do you see the wording of scripture coming together? You have the stone that is cut without hands in Daniel chapter 2. We know that that stone is the kingdom of God. We know that Jesus when he came to earth the first time when he had his ministry and before he went to the cross, he said repent for the kingdom is at hand. And so that was the beginning of the setting up of the kingdom. And we see all the way through right to the end of Revelation, we see God building his kingdom as it starts out as a little mustard seed in the parable. And as he's preaching the gospel message, more and more people are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and the kingdom is building and building and building. And then one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to come back to earth and he is going to wipe out every kingdom that was before it and he is going to set up his eternal kingdom and that is in revelation 5 when we see all of those worshiping and praising the one who is only worthy to be praised why because he is king so so the question that we have wrapping up today is this which kingdom are you a part of you see, we, we know about the kingdoms. We know that they're all going to be taken away. We know that Nebuchadnezzar lost his kingdom, and we will, we will see it firsthand. But you, which kingdom are you building? Are, are you building your kingdom? Are you building your house? Are you building up your bank account? What are you doing in your life? Are you building up everything that on this earth that Peter tells us will burn up and be destroyed? Why will it be burned up and be destroyed? Because it has to for the kingdom of God to come. Are you putting all of your hopes in a government that will keep locking us down in COVID or are you putting your hope in the kingdom that will come? You see, that stone is going to come, and it doesn't matter how powerful the kingdom is. That stone is going to come, and it is going to knock it out at its ankles and take it down. This is the kingdom that you want to be a part of. This is the kingdom that you want to focus on. This is the kingdom that you want to look forward to. This is the kingdom that should cause you to wake up in the morning and worship God and give him all the credit for where you are in your position today. Not to be like Nebuchadnezzar and look to how he can build his future, but recognize the very fact that this kingdom, as God fulfills his prophecy, that this kingdom is going to take place and this kingdom is going to be set up for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Today is the day where you decide which kingdom you want to be a part of. One of the, one of the most amazing movies I, I love watching and I go back to it a lot of times, it's, it's not a new movie, it's an older movie. It, it's got Robin Williams and 
It's called Hook. And Robin Williams is trying to learn again that he is Peter Pan, but there's a scene where the guy who was holding the Peter Pan sword, he, he's got it in his hand, and he's trying to get the people to determine which team they want to be on. The guy's name was Rufio. Yes, I just watched it again. So his name was Rufio, and so he draws a line in the sand with the sword. And Peter Pan or Robin Williams is standing on one side and Rufio's on the other. And what happens is these people, they, they run side to side and they're trying to figure out which team they want to be a part of. And some of them are back and forth and they're straddling that line and they can't figure out which kingdom they want to be a part of. And then one young boy takes Robin Williams' face and starts to take away all the wrinkles and everybody recognizes that that's Peter Pan and all the kids run to him and they start to sit at his feet thanking him that he's there. And that's the choice that you have. You see, the line is in the sand. You can either choose to be a part of the kingdom of God or you can choose to be a part of the many kingdoms of this world that will one day be wiped out. You will find greater hope in the kingdom of God than you will in any leadership of this world. So what are you waiting for? Cross the line. Submit to God. Fall in line with his kingdom. Worship in him and praise him like Daniel did. This is what's at stake for us, for you and I. It's life or death. It's to be a part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world. The choice is simple. You want to be a part of the one that endures forever. Pray on that this week. Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you again for who you are and for what you do. We thank you for Bible verses that tell us about the kingdom of God. We're thankful for your son Jesus, that on the cross, that his blood was shed for you and for me. And that because of that shed blood, we can participate in the kingdom of God. But Lord, uh, what's at stake here is surrender. It's to leave everything that we're building up for this world, to leave it behind knowing that it will disappear. To surrender all of that and follow after you. To commit our lives to to, uh, be in worship of you, to walk in your words and obey your commands. That this is far greater than anything the world could offer us. So, Father, we do pray your kingdom come. We wait for the day that you will come and you will take all of your believers back to heaven with you to walk the streets of gold, to see the river of life, and to live eternally with you. So, Father, work in our hearts this week. Remind us of these truths. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. Make sure to check out our website at www.preceptministries.ca. And we want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts or another ministry of Precept Ministries, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life.